So as I mentioned uh, in my prayer, we are in the book of Habakkuk. And the book of Habakkuk is uh, a a prophetic book in the Old Testament that, uh, as I mentioned last week, doesn't get a lot of airplay. It's pretty pretty small. It's kind of tucked. It's about four or five books before the New Testament. It's tucked between all of these really, really small books that sometimes we can flip right past whenever we're uh, just flipping through the Old Testament and, and trying to get to the, to the Gospel of Matthew. But Habakkuk is important nonetheless, and it's important, I believe, is because we, we see this relationship, this, this communication that Habakkuk has with God as a prophet of God that, um, that reveals something about the, the audience that we have with the Lord. And some of, this, some of the, the audiences that, that the prophets had with God, and we recognize that we too now have those audience with the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has offered us through this Holy Spirit and his, by His sacrificial death on the cross, that we need to be able to, to understand that, that we have the, the, the ability to speak to and to hear from God just as the prophets did, those that were filled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. That we have the ability to, to be able to, to speak our, as we spoke about last week, our complaints, our frustrations, our anger, our burdens. The things that we rarely take to God because we're so busy talking to everybody else about them. And unfortunately, the other people that we talk about them to, they can't do anything about it. Only God can, but he's the only one that we fail to talk to him about. So we talked about last week how just as Habakkuk was unashamedly honest with God in his complaint, in his frustration of seeing evil, of seeing uh, debauchery, of seeing unrighteousness in his nation. And he, he cried out to God and he says, don't you even care that this is going on in this nation that you've called out to be your people? Why aren't you listening? Why are you looking at evil and unrighteousness and turning a blind eye to it? And as we talked about last week, we, my first thought was that if someone were to speak like that to an almighty God, they, risk, they run the risk of kind of being zapped. How dare you talk to me like that? But as we get through the book of Habakkuk, we recognize that God welcomed Habakkuk's complaints. He welcomed the conversation. He welcomed the, the, uh, the communication about his frustration. He welcomed the fact that Habakkuk was willing to lay his burdens at the Lord. Reminder that Habakkuk was preaching and prophesying during uh, the years just prior to the Babylonian captivity of all of Judah. So he was seeing the, uh, the demise of his people just continuing to decline over and over again. He was seeing the righteous who were falling into pagan worship and falling into idolatry. He saw things that were going on in his nation that would have turned the stomach of a righteous, holy God, disgusted him, caused him to just, would have caused him to just pour out his wrath on a people. But Habakkuk was looking at this nation. Of course, he couldn't see into the future, but he was looking at this nation and he's going, God, you're not doing anything. 
So Habakkuk complained to the Lord. As we got into, uh, we get into now this, this morning into Habakkuk chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 5, and then following, we recognize that God didn't allow Habakkuk to continue to remain complaining without a response. The unfortunate thing was that the response that Habakkuk received was not exactly the response that he was hoping for. Hence the reason for the, the title of today's message, an unexpected response. In Habakkuk's uh, case, and sometimes in our case as well, it's almost an unwelcome response. Because the response we receive is not exactly what we had hoped that God would respond. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you just had this unexpected response from someone? Just completely just off the wall, like just caught you off guard? And that's exactly what happened with Habakkuk and God. I remember one time I was in uh, ministering. We were ministering in New Zealand. And I was asked to uh, conduct part of a funeral for a lady that was a member of our little church that we had planted there in New Zealand. And she was a believer, but the rest of her family was not. She was, she was a believer, and she wanted her faith represented through me to be at her father's funeral and to maybe speak a few words and to be present in the midst of all of the, uh, the preparation and, and everything else. And Of course, it's whether you are a Christian or whether you are not a Christian, grief is very similar. I mean, when someone dies, it's very painful. So these people were going through the same pain. I mean, uh, Sue, the same pain that she was going through was the pain that her mother was going through. One was a believer, one was not. So as I was there at the, uh, the hospice house is where people were, were um, her father had been in this, this uh, basically it's kind of a, a hospital where you went to die. Uh, and he had passed away in this hospice house. I had gone to the hospice house to sit with Sue and her family. And as Sue had decided to leave the room for a moment with, uh, with her father's remains as they wheeled him out to go to the funeral home, it left me and her mother in the room together, alone. And we're kind of sitting there, and, and, and I'm kind of staring at the wall for a moment, and I just felt like, you know what? Maybe this is a really good opportunity. And I just said, um, Virginia, would you mind? I know you're hurting right now. Would you mind if I prayed with you? And would that be okay if I prayed with you? And she looked right at me and she goes, no. And I was like, oh. <laughs> that was one of the most awkward two weeks that lasted about five minutes of my life. Because we were there for probably another five minutes staring at each other. This woman that had completely rejected my offer to just be comforting and pray for her. And I didn't know what to say or what to do. But I just kind of stared at the wall for the next five minutes. And it literally felt like I was in that room for two weeks. Completely unexpected. I figured that even if you're not a believer, you would at least, you would at least welcome a little bit of comfort, right? No, I was completely wrong. So completely thrown off. And from that point forward, when I would see that woman on the street, she would literally turn and go the other direction. It was like I had this magnetic force field around me. It was like, what did I do? But it was just unbelievable and totally unexpected. And that's exactly what um, Habakkuk recognized whenever 
he read or whatever he heard God's response to his complaint. Let's read together from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. This is God's response to Habakkuk. God says, look, look at the nations and observe and be utterly astounded. For I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charged ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles and swooping in to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand and they mock kings and rulers. They are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep in, they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. Now that was the last thing that Habakkuk had thought he would hear from the Lord. Over and over again, God had in some way moved to try to restore Judah and Israel from within. Setting up kings and holy people and, and prophets to come in and try to right the, the, the unrighteousness and the, the evil and the wickedness from within the nation. But what God just told Habakkuk was that what's actually going to come in and punish and right the ship there for Judah was going to be another nation. And it wasn't just going to be any other nation. You see, the Chaldeans were actually the precursor for the Babylonians. The Babylonians, uh, the, Babel, the Chaldeans became the nation of Babylon. So God was telling Habakkuk that this nation, this evil, wicked torturous nation is going to come in and judge the nation of Israel. And Habakkuk couldn't believe it. You know, on one side, the news was good that the fact that at least God heard his complaint, that God responded. Obviously, God empathized with Habakkuk's uh, frustration of the evil and the, the, um, the unrighteousness of his people. And, and, you know, and he responded. The bad news is that God's response wasn't exactly, well, it wasn't anything like what Habakkuk had hoped for. You see, their thought was even though, even though there was evil and unrighteousness going on in the nation of Israel, nation, the Israel was still God's chosen people. And there were so many that kind of kept that as a, as a um, I don't know, as an honor badge on their hearts. Well, even though we fall away, the Lord is, we're still more righteous than them. These evil, rotten people who murder, pillage, and destroy. Who have, as God puts it, have other gods. And their God, their idol, is their strength, their might, their power. The very, their very ability to destroy and to conquer. 
Habakkuk, I can imagine, was just perplexed and could not believe that God was going to use this unexpected, unprecedented way of riding the ship in Israel. And I recognized whenever I read that passage and God's response that while it might have seemed out of character for God to Habakkuk, when you read through Scripture and you see the way that God responds in God ways, it's always in the most unexpected or the most unorthodox. And I just started to recognize that when every time that I've seen God move and every time that I see Him move just um, powerfully in Scripture, it became, actually, it became where you need to expect the unexpected. You needed to expect the unorthodox. In fact, you had to believe and recognize that it was by God's signature, it was God's signature on a certain work whenever something fell outside the norm, when something fell outside of what would, would naturally happen. You know, it's kind of like Whenever you get sick and, you, and you, um, you need to go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes you some medicine and you take the medicine and you get well. Well, sometimes we go, well, that was the medicine that made me well. And some of us, like me, go, well, you know what? God used and worked through the medicine and made you well. It was still his decision. It was still his preference. But what God would do in working a miracle was you were sick and then five minutes later and you were well and there was no other intervention whatsoever in the midst of that in the midst of that process or yet he used something that was completely unconventional that i, I don't know Think of the most bizarre thing that could happen to make you well you you you're sick you go outside you get hit by a car and you're well that's the kind of that's the kind of ways that god were it was so it was like what in the world and that's the way Habakkuk was thinking. Let I me mean, think about it. Look, what the, the way that, that God saved the world through Noah. He had Noah building a ship on dry land for 60 to 70 years. People scratching their head going, that's the most unorthodox way to, to save mankind. Moses. Moses was raised in Egyptian royalty, but yet saved the Hebrew people out of slavery. When he, when he depart, had his people depart out of Egypt into the promised land, he didn't take them by dry land, nor did he take them over the sea in a ship. In fact, he had them go through the sea on dry land. That's the, one of the most unorthodox, unbelievable things that could ever... You, would, you can't even imagine these things. He speaks through animals. Have you ever read the story of Balaam's donkey? I mean, he gets your attention, right? I mean, if my dog started talking to me, I'd listen. And then I'd find some way to make a lot of money off of it. The disciples, the disciples, the, the very men that began a movement of faith that has been growing to this day, 12 fishermen, untrained men in the religious order. Just plain old guys that had a heart for the Lord. The unorthodox, the unexpected. You know, all the times that Jesus was 
um, they, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were attempting to arrest Jesus. In fact, it wasn't either one of them that ended up turning them over. It was one of his own disciples. The unexpected. The unorthodox. Paul, a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, is therefore called out to witness to and to testify to the Gentiles, the very people that he despised. When we look out and we see that something is being done that is completely out of, out of the norm, in the, we can recognize that, well, God must be having his plan in this. This is a, this is a signature of God. Whenever And God can and does, people can't do this, but God can and does put square pegs in round holes all the time. And it's whenever we see those things, not by our doing, not by human doing, but when we see God do those things, we go, yep, that had to have been God. Because there's no earthly way in human possible that that would have worked. But that was God's plan. And that's how he related to Habakkuk. My plan is this. I'm not going to try to fix Israel from the inside anymore. In fact, I'm going to send this evil nation to come in and conquer you. And Habakkuk is going, oh my goodness. I couldn't even fathom that this is the way that you would fix, that you would respond to my complaint, that you would respond to my burden about our people. So in the the sense that he couldn't understand and that he couldn't believe that an almighty and all-holy God would allow an outside people to come in and destroy God's chosen people, what does Habakkuk do? He complains again. That's what we would do, right? Let's read on there from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. And you can enter the word God. You can imagine Almighty God, are you not from eternity? My Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself. I'm going to pause right there for just a moment. We're not going to go very deep into that. That's going to be the subject for next week. But there was a, what, there was a misconception that Habakkuk had that we often have as well. That there are levels of righteousness. And Habakkuk misunderstood that this evil, wicked Babylon was somehow more unrighteous than the evil and the unrighteousness within his own nation. And in God's eyes, it's like, no. You're an idolater. They're an idolater. You've given yourselves over to other gods. You have, um, you have allowed eagle to evil to perpetuate in your nation. So have they. You've both fallen you both fallen from my holiness and from my righteousness. Again, we'll expand a bit on that 
next week, but that's just, that was Habakkuk's thinking and why he just could not imagine why God would allow a disgusting, evil empire to come in and take over his people. Habakkuk continues on his response. You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. And he's talking about here about how he recognizes that, that God is the creator and God has created mankind in such a way that they're, um, um, that they're, they're, they're powerless. The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook and they gather them in their dragnet and they gather them in their fishing net and that's why they are glad and rejoice. Habakkuk is saying, I, I've, I've heard about these Chaldeans. I know how there are no people that can stand against them. Father, I know that when they swipe in like you say they're going to, they're going to have no mercy. And there's nothing we're going to be able to, to do to, to resist them. Verse 16, that is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Again, repeating more or less what God had just said. Their strength is their God. Habakkuk repeats that truth. Their God is the fact that they can come in and destroy. And they will come in and destroy at will. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? The first thing that Habakkuk thinks is, if this nation does this, if God allows this, if this is his plan of judgment to somehow right the ship in an evil Judah, is there ever any going back? Because this nation of Babylon will wipe us off the face of the earth. And there's no end to their evil and their treachery. And Habakkuk is hurt. He's burdened. He's burdened not just for his people that have broken covenant with the Lord. He's hurt because he feels like God has finally had enough. And he's turning a blind eye. On the people that he chose. The important thing for us to recognize in Habakkuk's conversation with the Lord. Is he doesn't stop talking to God. And man do we. I do. I get so frustrated. Either with the lack of response. Or with the response that I don't want to hear. That I just quit praying altogether. Maybe you don't want to hear that from your pastor, but I'm a man. That's what I do. Habakkuk didn't. He took response after response and continued to go back to the Lord God Almighty for further understanding. To get a clearer picture of what God was doing, what God was going to do. In answering his prayer. And immediately God didn't answer. And in a lot of ways it leaves us a bit on a cliffhanger. 
It's kind of like when you get to the end of a, of a season of television shows when you just want to know the conclusion. And it says to be continued and you've got to wait till next fall. That's kind of where this leaves us for a moment. And where I'm going to intentionally leave us today. Because sometimes God doesn't give us the solution straight away. Sometimes God doesn't answer straight away. But you know what Habakkuk does is the same thing that we should do. Habakkuk's response was this. I will stand at my guard post. I will station myself on the lookout tower. And I will watch to see what he will say to me. And what I should reply about my complaint. Habakkuk wanted to turn and respond to his people about what he had heard from the Lord. But rather than just go and just blurt it all out and try to make sense of it himself, he positions himself in such a way that he knows that he's not finished hearing from the Lord. Physically, he places himself, it says, on his guard post. He places himself on his lookout tower. He places himself in a position, in a posture that is looking and listening for the Lord. That is willing to wait. When we petition the Lord, we need to do the same. We need to position ourselves in a posture of waiting and listening. And if we don't have an answer, then wait longer. I mean, that sounds like the the most horrible end to a message ever. Just wait. But you know what? That's exactly what God expects of us. Wait and listen. Because you know what that does? That shows God our full submission to His authority. That we are not willing to act on our own. We're not willing to act on our own authority. We're not willing to act on our own desires and our own devices with our own agenda. We will wait. And we'll position ourselves in such a way that we can wait and listen. And what does that posture look like? I mean, we don't have, you know, watchtowers and, and, uh, and, and guard posts at our home. But we do have watchtowers and guard posts in our hearts. We have ways that we position and, and posture our hearts to wait and to continue to um, um, listen for the voice of the Lord. We do that through Scripture. We do that through prayer. We do that through fasting. We do that through, in some cases, inactivity. We're not willing to make a decision on X, Y, or Z right now because we have not heard from the Lord. Last week, we spent some time at the end of the message to to complain to God. Some of us did. I did. That's something I'm really good at, honestly. Complain to God a lot. Something that I'm not good at is once I'm done complaining is to sit back and wait and listen for him to answer me. 
to do like Habakkuk did and to position myself in such a way that I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. Now, I hate to say this too. This is probably not, again, another way to, best way to end a message. Habakkuk waited for years. I mean, he was prophesying some 10 to 15 years before Babylon took over and destroyed Jerusalem. Some of us are going, man, if I don't have an answer in 15 minutes, I'm just going to ask him to bless whatever I do and just hope for the best. And man, we're good at that too, aren't we? God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go this direction, and I'm just going to ask you to bless it. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to wait here, and I'm going to be certain through some means, Father, that you speak to me divinely in my heart, through an you know, external communication, through some expected unorthodox way, you're going to reveal to me the direction that I go. And that way I'm certain that the direction that I go is right the first time. Let's take these lessons from Habakkuk just as we pause here and we allow, we allow time for God to speak into our lives. And the perfect, I believe the, the perfect way for us to um, usher in a, an environment of community, of listening, is over the Lord's Supper. Each and every week, we take communion here at Partnership. And there are other churches that do it as well. We specifically do it. We, we recognize that this is a, a way that Christ had expected for his believers to come around and to commune with him. We do this to make sure that we keep Christ centered on who we are and, and who is the Lord of this church. At the same time, it gives us a, a prime opportunity to reflect on God's word and to continue to refer back to the very one that allows us that audience with God. You see, none of this would be possible. I would not be able to have my say with the Lord for him to listen to my complaints if it were not for Jesus Christ. It all began here for us. So therefore, it all should be there that we turn our sights and that we turn our focus each time that we come together. So this morning, as we take the bread and as we take the cup, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then this table is for you. This doesn't belong to partnership. Even if you're visiting with us, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, please, by all means, be welcome around his table. But it's for us to recognize that the broken body of a Savior, the shed blood of a Savior, was one that allowed the audience between mankind and God, that he allowed that connection once again, that sin and disobedience and evil was no longer hampering the signal between the common man and woman and an almighty God, that Jesus became our liaison, that he became our, um, he became our uh, intermediary between us and the Lord. Taking the things that we speak, taking the things that we complain to the Lord. 
And it's also through Christ, just as we have been for millennia now, that we wait. We've been waiting for a couple of thousand years and more now for the Lord to return. Can we also wait for the Lord's voice whenever we're expecting a response from an almighty God regarding our prayers, regarding our burdens? We seem to be waiting patiently for the return of Christ. Let's also wait patiently for the affirmation of the voice of God to answer our prayers and our petitions to him. Almighty God, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we take the bread and the cup, Lord, first and foremost, that we recognize and we remember the death of our Savior, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, Father, to also celebrate the fact that he did not stay in the grave, that his righteousness, Lord, his righteousness allowed him to be resurrected from the grave and the grave have no power on him and Lord because he resurrected from the grave and he overcame death and he punished sin once and for all he offered the same righteousness through him through his blood to each one of us who call on him as Lord and Savior who has faith in him as our Lord and Savior and with that, Father, we recognize that we have the audience with you that so many in the past in the Old Testament had as well. Permission to speak with you. Permission to speak openly and freely. Permission to be heard. So, Father, give us now the spirit to wait, to listen intently, for your response. Even when we don't understand. Even when we haven't yet. Gotten the full picture. Help us father by your spirit. To strengthen us. To wait. To not go about our own ways. And our own agendas. And to haphazardly act. And hope. That we choose the right path. But recognize Lord. Throughout scripture throughout history you show your mighty hand by working in the unorthodox way the unexpected way so that we can certainly look at your answer at your voice and say yes that was the voice of God I'm un there's no doubt We love you, Father. We thank you for your son. We thank you, Father, to be welcomed around his table. To be welcomed into your presence. To speak to you, Father, and to hear from you. Help us to listen well. In Christ I pray. Amen. Let's eat together.